Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 221. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, an old friend. And also, member number three out of four on my Brian Sibling bingo card. That's right, I've got Shahara Jagrati Mattingly. She is the CEO and what she refers to as the Chief Excitement Officer of Delicious Awakening a transformational health coaching business. If your life has gotten off track, get back to good food. Shahara will help you get the things that your body needs and put them inside you. Additionally, you're probably going to find out a lot about yourself. Why are you unhealthy? Why are you holding yourself back? You'll dig a little bit deeper. And in Shahara's words on this podcast, she'll deliver to you what you came for, but she'll also give you what you need. Shahara is an old friend of mine. We've known each other since middle school. And as I tell her on this episode, I was always a little bit intimidated by her because while she's not big in stature, she's like a bundle of TNT. She doesn't take any crap from anyone. And she's not afraid to stand up for what's right, stand up to injustice, and get in people's faces if necessary. She's an amazing, amazing person, someone I have always adored. And it took us a while to connect on this because while we're kind of friends on Facebook and we'll comment on each other's stuff and... She loved that I interviewed her two siblings. You know, we haven't hung out in a long, long time. But it was after I did my solo episode where I talked about overcoming depression and crawling out of the darkness and whatever it was I said. I, honest to God, still haven't listened to that episode. But everyone who did came out of the woodwork to tell me how much that meant to them, including Shahara. And so on this week's show, we get deep. We talk about her own journey and how when she was a kid, She would take these sort of wayward souls under her wing. She had a middle school social worker tell her mom that you've got a little caseworker here under your care. Your daughter is a little caseworker. And if she doesn't get the proper care herself, she could end up down a dark path. So on this week's show, we end up talking about her history with addiction, her struggle against alcohol, some of the harder drugs she did when she was younger. It's a fascinating, candid, beautiful episode with an absolute ray of sunshine and someone that I adore. Now, I alluded to this as well. She is number three out of four on my Brian Sibling bingo card. So if you like this one, you should go back and listen to the one with Kirsty and the one with Raina. They will both be linked on the companion blog piece that goes with this episode on johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us. And what's remarkable about it is if you listen to them all back to back, you go, yep, they're definitely siblings. They all sound kind of alike, and there's some honesty in that family. But All three of them are doing very different things. Shahar is a transformational health coach. Raina is an engineer trying to get rid of single-use plastics in terms of food packaging and doing remarkable work through recycling is sexy. Kirsty is a dynamite actress and someone that I love watching perform in anything that she's in. So an incredibly talented family, just an absolute delight, every single one of them, and I'm proud to feature them here. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or another podcatcher, thank you for that. Please take a minute, give us a rating, give us a review. Those things both help the exposure of the John of All Trades podcast. And you know what? Hit that subscribe button. It's real easy. Brand new episodes will come directly to your listening device, and you don't even have to do anything. It's fantastic. New episodes drop each Wednesday. First jobs drop on Monday. 
Shaharas was a delight talking about cleaning her dad's office at the age of 12 for 40 bucks a week. It's a great way to get to know these guests before you hear them in full later in the week. I promote first jobs only on Facebook, so be sure to follow us there. The handle is J-O-A-T-Pod. Now then, let's get to episode 221 of the podcast with Shahara Jagrati Mattingly, transformational health coach and the CEO of Delicious Awakening. Her episode starts right now. started off the summer with the idea of having a structure like, you know, like <laughs> make something on Mondays and, right. you know, take a trip Tuesday and water Wednesday and yeah, go to um, the library. Like, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it was good for about, you know, two weeks and then <laughs> life, real life hits and, and it all goes uh, to hell. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> definitely try to eat up time with like trips to the library and the museums and things like that. But, um, Oh, do you have a membership? Yeah. Yeah, of course yeah, I do too. You have to have those. It yeah. pays for itself it after does. like two trips, right? It absolutely does. Yeah. Wow. The botanical gardens. Mm-hmm. I love the children's area over there and uh, taking picnics and oh, that's nice. Um, yeah. And then some of the libraries too, like the Lakewood library, they have free lunches for kids. Oh, wow. And, uh, so you can go down there, do a little book, a thing and then go out and get free food and sit in the grass and have a picnic and that eats up a good part of the morning. And <laughs> How do you get anything done though with your I business? Don't. Okay. I get nothing done. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of a time in my life where I'm, I've always felt a little bit of that terror, you know, where I'm sure. constantly wanting to do my thing. Um, but I'm also with the kids. And so I feel guilty to clients if I have them. Mm-hmm. And then I feel guilty to my kids when I'm with clients or I'm trying to do client work. So oh. it's, it's at this time it's sort of been put on the shelf or I'll take someone here or there. And, and a lot of time I'm like, so can you be flexible? Like, can I call you around nap time? Yeah. I don't know when it's going to be, but it's probably around these times. Yeah. Are you cool with that? And a lot of times it does work out, but it feels very unprofessional at moments. So I feel like I don't get a lot of traction because I'm sort of having to just shelf it a little bit. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I've, I've had client calls from playgrounds Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to like keep them at arm's length, you know, like to just be quiet for a second. Just daddy need just one yep. second, please. Yep. And I'll like hand them like animal crackers or whatever. Right. And invariably one of them will start crying or yell mm-hmm. something. And the person on the other end is like, are you with your kids right now? I'm like, Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> and and most people are so cool about it, they though. They are. Right? They're yeah, just like, totally. oh, hey, call me back when you have a second. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Thank yeah. you. I don't think we give people enough credit for that. No, I don't. And I think we just we feel guilt all the time. Mom guilt, dad guilt, parent yeah. guilt. You feel it towards your kids, and you feel it towards your clients, and you feel like <laughs> towards yourself, and you just... Just you always want to be everything for everyone, and you mm-hmm. can't. And no. so you're you're sort of always saddled with <laughs> with some guilt somewhere. Yeah, it's so funny too. This is Shahara Jagrati Mattingly, and you are the chief excitement officer of Delicious Awakening. That's correct. Which is fantastic, and it's funny because I mean we've we sort of connect tangentially, like on Facebook and stuff, a little bit. Uh, and I've had two of your siblings on here. Raina and Kirsty, those were a while ago. I'll link to those in the uh, companion blog piece to this. But Kirsty even told me it's like you should talk to Shahara about this because what she's doing is really interesting stuff. So tell me a little bit about Delicious Awakening. So Delicious Awakening has evolved over the years, and um, I started out as a holistic health coach, just initially coaching just on nutrition and health stuff, um, and then I went to India and I studied yoga, and so everything kind of 
took on a more Ayurvedic slant with um, more of a spiritual bent, which is, I guess, who I am anyway. So it was always kind of interwoven into that. But yeah, as I get deeper and deeper into the practice, it's more and more about discovering what is holding people back from living the life or doing the things that they actually want to do. And a lot of belief and identity stuff gets uncovered through mm-hmm. the guise of losing weight or food or, or wanting more energy. Right. And uh, so it's a perfect entry point for, um, for deepening the healing process. Well, what's funny is I've talked to a number of health coaches, not on this show, I don't think, but almost all of them I've heard that because if you gain weight or if you are unhealthy or you're low energy or whatever, there's going to be something a little bit more, a, a deeper cause of that, something that is within you that you need to unpack rather than just like, you know, you need to be eating more vegetables, right? I mean, everybody knows that. <clears throat> yeah, we all know that. <laughs> That's not any great mystery, right? No, exactly. But uh, what is what is causing you to sort of hold yourself back? I, I mean, I've I've heard that before, and so... I imagine that evolution was interesting for you because businesses frequently, I think I am doing this, but what I'm actually doing is this. Right. And once you had that realization, first of all, how long did it take you to have that realization? I mean, I've been doing it for about 10 years now. Good Lord, really? Yeah. So, I mean, it's probably taken, I mean, it's been a constant evolution, right? But, um... Probably 10 years. Wow. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, I knew it, it going in that it was always going to be much more, but I tried to stick really to the health and food stuff because that's what people were coming <laughs> me, to me for. Right. You got to um, deliver what the client asked exactly. for. Exactly. Right? But I think over time, what's become more difficult, especially in terms of marketing and stuff, is like, but that's actually not what we're really doing. But I still have to tell people what they're going to get what they want. Okay. So I think that's taken me about six or seven years to be able to communicate Sell them what they think they want and give them what they need. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. That's a great philosophy. You're almost, and this is going to sound a little bit more, I don't know, diabolical than than it seems, but you're almost Trojan horsing in real solutions. Right. Right? I mean, like food is the entry point. And it's like, okay, I got to get my diet all squared away. And, you know, I got to be eating better. It's like, okay, we are going to do that. But trust me, there's more. Right. Right. And I mean, my path, I came here through my own addiction process, you know, and, and self-sabotage. And mm. I think any of our compulsions that we have, whether it's eating or drinking or any sort of, sort of self-sabotaging behavior right. is the path, mm. but we don't want it to be because <laughs> it's uncomfortable and we don't want to turn towards pain. We've been taught to numb it or turn away, or maybe if I don't look at it, it'll disappear. Mm. Or maybe if I put my attention on something else, like if I just focus on eating the right foods or um, if I blame it on the guy that I'm constantly dating, um, I don't have to look at the real the real stuff that's, right. that's in there. And that's always the path. So it's really the, the compulsion is the path. That's interesting. And it's, it's funny you bring that up too, because I... I mean, we were friendly in high school. We didn't hang out all that much, but like we were always pals. Yeah. And I, I always liked you. I will be honest. I was always intimidated by you. That's what people say a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, but why? You're like, no, I'm I like, I think I had a vibe though, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you very much. And like, you took no shit. Which was awesome. And so like, <laughs> because I was never giving you any shit, I like, I had no reason, but I, I could see you, you were, you were like a TNT, mm-hmm. you know, is that fair to characterize you that way? Yes, okay. absolutely. 
That's interesting. When you hear that now and you look back on who you were then, what are your feelings? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, it was, um, I mean, I'm still the same in, right. in some ways, you know, I've just learned to notice and actually even accept. I think there was a part of me that was, um, also afraid of my own fire. Oh, interesting. You know, and it just sort of came out. It was so, I was so yeah. angry. I think we all are at, in high school at sure. something, you know what I mean? But, um, do you I'm, know what you were pissed off about though? Now I do from all the deep work that I've done, but it was essentially it was I'm such I'm such a sensitive and deeply feeling mm. person and can feel into other people's pain. And I really got involved, I think you remember with a group of people that were probably suffering a lot more than their fair share. Yeah. And uh I mean I just saw us all as brothers and sisters of one human family. And I thought that these guys were getting the short end of the stick Interesting. through their, either their family constellation and their family dynamic. And then how the school would deal with a child who was obviously acting out Interesting. Um, and needed more support. But the way that things were handled is, well, you can get kicked out then or go home right. to this abusive parent who is also uh, not supportive. And I saw these, this light in these people and this potential. And, and I was always just able to call that out and lift them up. And I just started my life's work. Then I remember my mom said she talked to the social worker at our junior high. And she's like, you have a little social worker on your hands. And if you don't get her, the mentorship that she needs, it's going to be, it could be a dark road. I mean, there was, I was dealing with some pretty heavy stuff that a 13, 14 year old shouldn't try to be the case manager for so what like so i was angry at the injustice of life basically yeah Yeah, people getting dealt crappy cards yeah and and the the consequences of that that that, that ripple out right and and it puts them i'm mixing metaphors here but behind the eight ball right and that's just plain not fair and i felt misunderstood i felt that they were misunderstood and i just thought it was just a big fucked up mess. You yeah. know, I was just pissed about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, understandably so. I mean, I, I was always like in that crew that you rolled with. I was always friendly with that crew too. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't. They were good people. They were great folks. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've always gravitated towards, uh, outcasts as well and people sort of on the fringes and like, I, I just, I connect with that. I, I didn't grow up that way, but, and I think much to my parents' chagrin, that's what I was always drawn to, sort of yeah, me the too. outlaws, the punk rock, right. the right. the skaters, like everyone like that. I I was never at Bell smoking cigarettes up on the hill, but I was friends with everyone who was. Right. You know, and so. Um, you were smoking weed out of a pop can? <laughs> <laughs> no, not till later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remember sitting next to one of our friends. I'm not going to name any names on here because that wouldn't be fair to them. Right. But uh, I sat next to him and I think Miss Ensminger's class. Oh, I loved her. Yeah, <laughs> I did too, actually. <laughs> and he just reeked of cigarettes every morning. And I'm like, wow, like we're 14, man. And you're going through how many cigarettes a day? Yeah. Cause it's cool. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, and it's a way to, of dealing with the world. I mean, right. as, as a cigarette smoker myself, like, mm-hmm. uh, my therapist told me it, it shuts down certain parts of your brain and lights up others, right? which is why it's such a hard addiction to shake It is because it's unique in that way. Right. So, I mean, you were sort of the case manager for these kids, but you were also like participating, right? Yeah. And I think that was interesting that this this lady sort of foretold that you know there's there's a sort of power to darkness that can overtake if you don't have 
mentorship yeah you know or you don't have someone this is what's happening and it was so easy to get sucked in it was almost like um if you can't beat them join them Mm, kind of thing you know i remember specifically my mom at some point and now that i'm a parent i'm like oh yeah like she was in total fear but she's like you can't hang out with those kids but this was the person who taught me that we were part of one human family so it was almost like the biggest betrayal Right. Ever. And I think that oh, was yeah. the crux of me going from a pretty good girl, um, trying to bring light and love to everyone to sort of flipping into this very rebellious, mm. super pissed off place that if like, if my mom can't even see who's like Jesus Christ incarnate herself, <laughs> you know, can't see the light within these kiddos because right. you know, as a parent, we can be blinded by fear. And I get that now, sure. but then it was just like, you misunderstand me. You know, if you don't, I'm not being friends with them because I want to be bad too. They're being bad because they're hurting and I, I want to, you want to empathize with them. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. You want to get in there with them and take away some of that hurt. And if you can almost like take some of that out of them and put it on yourself, maybe you lighten their load. Right. Exactly. And, and then, but then I was having my own hurt then too. And so it was like, what better way to numb that hurt than what they were doing, it seemed to be working for them. Yeah. So then that sort of led me down that journey of, and I think I was always in an existential crisis too of like, is this it? Is (laughs) this what life is all about? You know? And I was always constantly trying to reach and touch some sort of deeper mystical experience that would give me a better understanding for why, why are we here? And why are, why is this suffering? And why does it have to dance with joy? And why can't we just be one, one? Yeah. You know? And what have you found? That it is that is life's journey, you know, is the dance. You know, and I think when I reached out to you after your so uh, such an open share, so vulnerable and open share of your struggle. It's yeah, like, that's so funny, too. I haven't listened to that episode back, and I don't think I'm ever going to. You should. It's really good. You okay. did a great fucking job. All right. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, being that vulnerable, and of course, Brene Brown now with all the vulnerability and bravery right, and courage. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, I mean, you, you probably pulled so many people out of the woodwork with your own ability to share that rawness you know but i think that i I forget what i was saying but (laughs) no you were talking about the dance between joy and struggle yeah i think we get we get stuck in one pov or one point of view that like this is what it's going to be like forever and we forget that this too shall pass right and soon (laughs) but um we we attach and we cling to the current emotional state or point of view that we're experiencing and we cling to it and that this is continuing and this is happening and we'll wake up in the morning and if there's just a little inkling of those thoughts or that feeling left we'll drag that whole past narrative from the day before or the week before or the story before and we'll put it back on put those clothes back on we'll shuffle down to the coffee station you know yeah. and have the same experience again and not let ourselves just be in the flow And I think we're always going to go to crazy town like you did and I did. And I shared that I'd been there too. Yeah. Um, I think the dance and the practice of life is how fast do we come back? Yeah. How fast can you bounce back? Which Mm -hmm. hasn't always been a strong suit of mine. Mine either. I I tend to, my, my therapist also told me when you feel your feelings, you tend to really feel your feelings and like you, you tend to let that overwhelm your entire being. Totally. Well, it's a chem, it's, chemicals each feeling is a chemistry right and so Mm -hmm. they i think when we're sensitive beings we can become overwhelmed with some of these really strong feelings especially because those chemical messengers will open up sort of what i call the file cabinet in the brain too you know there's there's a file that's reserved for that whole set of emotions so it's not like we're just feeling that one 
feeling that we're feeling in that moment. It opens up that yeah. whole file folder and we sort of, whether we know it or not consciously, we're sort of swimming in the whole story of our life. And maybe even now they're saying intergenerational stories of that. Oh my God. That chemical signature being alive in us, you know? So it's, wow. you know, but, but the, I think that experience though, every time you go through it and the awakening that you had within it and afterwards and wanting to share that, that awareness is the, the, the thing that brings us back faster and faster every time we yeah. begin to have an experience of, of waking up and coming back and we remember that. And so then when we're in it next time, we might be in it really deep, but there is a part of us that remembers and has that memory of coming out. And hopefully the hole isn't quite as deep the next time as it was this time. Right. Maybe each time it's a little less deep and... Ho I I don't know. And yeah. I don't have any desire to go find out again anytime soon. No. <laughs> uh, because that, I mean, yeah, that was a dark place. And it's interesting because you're right. People came out of the woodwork to tell me how much that meant to them. Because, and I found this when we went through infertility too. Anytime you're willing to share, you make that overture to people. People go, oh, this is like safe. Like you are someone who has already opened themselves up. Right. Like, And I'll, I'll rip myself open anytime. I don't care. Um, I sort of have what one of my previous guests referred to as the gift of confession. You know, if we can all learn from it and be better from it. So that kind of dovetails into a question I wanted to ask you, given the, the things that you've gone through and you said you've battled your own addiction demons, has, does that help you be a more successful sort of transformational coach? I feel like it does. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, there was a lot of shame that I felt for a long time sure. and I didn't want to go there. Um, but oh, as soon yeah. as I owned that that was part of my history and that was part of my narrative and that has been, the compulsion has been my path yeah. um, to deepening my sense of self in this lifetime, then then so many people are like, oh, me too, or my friend too, or, I mean, we all have compulsions, w whether they're illegal or not. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. You know, so um, so it does, I think it opens up a path and it opens up a depth of compassion for suffering yeah, um, and trauma because trauma is trauma. Yeah. There you can't, you can't put it on a hierarchical scale. Yeah. No, I always say that too. You, everyone runs their own race totally. and you know, people go, Oh, my problems are bullshit. You know, like they're, they're nothing compared to what other people are going through. It's like, well, okay, fine. If you want to measure it that way, I suppose that's your prerogative, but no one can know like your path, your history, things you've gone through except for you and you can only measure it against that right and and people do have struggles and yes sometimes outside context is really helpful in that but more than that it's like how are you going to overcome your own hurdles totally so, and i really went through that it was like almost like um survivor's guilt you know oh, really? when i was in my my shamanic groups or you know people doing really deep shadow work and i'm with people who have been through terrible, terrible trauma. And I grew up in a really great family. I had a great life. I don't have anything yeah. per se that was so traumatic like these women had gone through or been through. Right. Like you didn't, you didn't live through war. Or, I didn't live through like... war. I, I haven't had to have, you know, sexual assault or any of these scary things or even physical abuse within right. my family. I haven't, you know, any of those things. And so it's like, I, here I am having all these problems, this addiction and it's rage and this anger. And I haven't been through what these people have been. So who the fuck am I yeah. to be like saying I'm having a hard time with life? You know, the fuck. 
Like I live on in golden, you know, in the sunshine, living my life like it's golden, right? It's like (laughs) there is no, I have no right, (laughs) you know, and that's what it felt like. And it wasn't until, you know, I I was doing the deep soul work with my shaman that she's like, you know, your trauma is perfection, that the, the coming in and needing to be, needing to be the healer for everyone, needing to do that, having to be happy all the time. That is a trauma, yeah. you know, feeling like you're responsible for everyone's happiness. And wherever you decided that happened as a traumatic event at whatever age, you normally pre-verbal, mm. we make these, we, we wire up these beliefs about self and the world. You know, it could have just been a simple, if mom's not happy right now, I'm going to make her happy. That's my job for oh, this life or whatever. You know what I mean? And, and making this soul contract. Wow. You know, and, uh, and that that, that could have been it, you know, who knows? But anyway, that in of itself is trying to maintain that perfection and trying to always be that happy light for everyone else ends up becoming a really heavy load yeah. to carry. And that's kind of terrifying too, when you think about it, like it's terrifying and also freeing in a way in that as parents now, you know that you, you exert a certain level of influence on your kids, but so much of this is out of your control. Right. You know, Kristen and I always say, we're going to screw up these kids in ways that we can't even imagine. I know. And like, again, that's terrifying and that's freeing. Like, so you do your best every day and you control the part that you can and you don't always succeed at it. Sometimes Not you fall down. Not always in control. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, uh, a greater portion of this is probably outside your control. Yeah. Like it's, it's wired within them and they're getting stimuli from places that I can't ever begin to hope to manage. No. So I had a teacher who said, um, you know, we're, we're going to fuck up our kids. We are, Yeah. but they, their souls came into this life to learn a certain set of lessons anyways. And who better to have Mm. those lessons be learned with than the person who loves them more than anything in the world at this time anyways. So, you know, if, if we're going to have to learn and we've contracted to have soul lessons with them as well, yeah. if, it, if they are not already your greatest teacher, <laughs> right, they will be. And, oh, um, and they're such a mirror. Too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. I remember my mom telling me that, um, you know, becoming a parent is the perfect time to reparent yourself. Oh, interesting. Because whatever you didn't get from me, she said, you know, you have the opportunity to catch yourself probably in mirroring what I did with that yeah. with my children now. And deciding, do I buy that or can I come back and can I reparent the little person that's inside of me and be a better per- parent to my my kiddos now too? Wow. Or, di- you know, not better, but just can I do it differently? Yeah. Can, With more awareness. Yeah. You know? I mean, awareness is, is always good I, and, it, and it's helpful. So, I mean... Yeah, thinking back to my, and my parents were great. I love my parents yeah, even to too. this day. Like, yeah, they're the best. Uh, <laughs> we're so lucky. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> but there are times where I'll think to myself, I'm like, okay, they like they did this, and I'm I didn't realize it. I'm still carrying this with me. Right. Um, and so I go, how do I avoid that? And now by avoiding that, I probably create a different problem. Right. But there's nothing you can do about that. But we're all growing to be better all the time. So. Yeah. And then the piece that, you know, of non not being non-judgmental and compassionate and curious, you know? Oh yeah. Um, isn't that interesting that I just said that to my kid and it like came out of nowhere. It was felt so reactive. Like, is that mine <laughs> or did it, is, is it, you know, am I mirroring what my parents said and their belief system Yeah, is mine the same? I'm yeah. curious. You know, um, and it's a good, good opening without judgment, you know, <laughs> <laughs> totally. One of the things that I'm curious about is given that 
you've been doing your life's work now pretty much forever, right? Totally. You're, you're doing it professionally now. But now that you're aware of it and now that you know this is sort of a business, how do you handle self-care? How do you not get overwhelmed by you know, trying to take problems out of people and almost absorb them like, you know, like it's energy. How do you care for yourself without getting bogged down? That's a great, great question. And it's a really important one. It's a practice. Um, I think as a mom or as a parent, you know, that it's, we often get put on the back burner. Oh my anyways, God. Yeah. And, um, just because the, the sheer volume of stuff to do stuff to do, it's, yes. it's endless. Like the, the menial tasks right. never, ever end. Nope. So like dishes, I'm going to do the dishes and then I'll come. You know, you know what? You, never stop. you texted me that and I go, crap, my dishwasher's full too. I unloaded my dishwasher before Yay. you came over. So we both did that. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, it's just, it's constant. Right. Right. But I think, um, the thing that always grounds me back into self-care is um, how I feed myself. Oh, really? Okay. And so um, a way that I always reorient myself back to myself and self-care is how I choose to, to nourish myself. And sometimes I'll go days with just eating the scraps off the kids' plates and yeah. things like that. But then I can I can feel myself tripping into overwhelm and tiredness and, and resentfulness, you know, oh, and I, and, yeah. and again, it comes back to that awareness and understanding like what that heat feels like in my body <laughs> and just having the experience of it over and over again and the lashing out and then coming back and then taking responsibility and going, okay, I'm, you know, we get further and further back from the hole instead of falling into it. Right. And we realize right. like I'm approaching the hole. Yeah. The hole is on its way. What can I do? And it's like, you know what? Throw some greens in a bowl. Get the most colorful, wholest, yeah. healthiest food and stick it in your face and just chill out for a minute or get outside into the sun. I always reorient myself through food, whole colorful food and nature. Are you outside. vegetarian too? No, I'm not. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, what we do here is um, we did a, a weight loss program called Optavia and you eat their weird like astronaut food five times a day. But uh, you get one lean and green meal a day. And so that's like one serving of protein and then three servings of vegetables. And you get really creative and you learn a lot more about vegetables when you're not eating any carbs. Yeah. And like, you know, cutting out carbs long term is probably not sustainable for most people. Um, I mean, depending, you, cutting them down is almost universally always a good idea. Although I'm proselytizing like I know what I'm talking about sitting here with you. Um, but... This week we've eaten really, really healthy at dinner and I feel great. Yes. Like, and, and I, I actually also do yoga. I do a different weird sort of version of it called DDP yoga. Perfect. He's this, uh, this retired professional wrestler who created his own yoga program. Are you familiar with this at all? I'm not, but okay, I, I'll show it my, to you. my, my uh, view on yoga is do what works. Yeah, totally. And <laughs> I love tantra, it. Right? Do what works. So I've done it all four days this week. We've eaten healthy all week and I'm like, I feel amazing. So you're absolutely right. Like it's fun to indulge and like, it's like, yeah, let's go have beers and pizza. But too much of that, you're like, God, I feel like death. Yeah. Or when you're out on the road for work, you know, and you're oh, eating God. out or you're ordering take-in. Like more than three or four days, you know, in a row, like my immune system is depleted. I'm tired. doesn't matter if I'm sleeping yeah. eight hours a night. I'm just beat. Yeah. So I think food is definitely, it's always that that place to come back to for me. And well, it's easiest because you have the opportunity to do it multiple times a day. But, you know, there are those moments where you're just like, fuck it, fuck this. Yeah. You get in the hole and you're like, I don't give a fuck, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, just <laughs> I'm going to eat angel food cake and drink coffee <laughs> all day long. And then I'm going to switch to beer. Like, fuck it. Yeah, I'm going to have a big bowl of M&Ms for breakfast. Like, <laughs> Done it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like what I say with my clients is 
when you feel like shit like that, it's like, instead of going into judgment, which we, we do, mm-hmm. but we come out of it and we say, well, that was an interesting experiment, you know, <laughs> and what's, what's the conclusion or what's the outcome of that. And, um, so the hypothesis then is if I do this, then yeah. this, and, uh, you know, sometimes we have to repeat those experiences over and over and over again. Yeah. But then there's a moment where you're like, all right, my truth is if I had M&Ms before 10 a.m., like I am so contracted and pissed off by 2 p.m., yeah. I don't like who I am. So no refined sugar for me <laughs> before 10 a.m. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and we yeah. get to learn our own individual, what works, what doesn't. But yeah, self-care is definitely a priority when I feel myself just starting to lose my shit, like mm-hmm. just coming undone, I I run away, go to the hot springs. Oh, nice. Okay. Go into the caves up at the Indian hot springs and just kind of go back into the womb of the <laughs> nice. earth and just soak and breathe and be quiet. It's so quiet in there and just try to come back to wow. myself. Do you ever get resistance from clients like with this sort of mystical outlook or this sort of earthy disposition that you have are like do you ever have people who are sort of you know the the old cliche like you know i fucking hate hippies like that kind of thing do you do you ever get people like that or do they kind of self-select before they come to you i think they self-select before they come to me for the most part but yeah because no i haven't really had that but i do but have you know a, those people yeah, exist like they're out yeah, there yeah right they do yeah robin was one of them for a long time oh, totally. she came to me and she's like i'm, I'm doing your hippie shit <laughs> And it's working. And I was like, yeah, dude, that's what I'm saying. But I think, you know, I do have a, I do have an ability to language things in a way that people can hear some, you know, um, and people are so hungry for a coming back to center anyways. So if you can figure out how they want to say it in their Mm. way and use their, um, their language and sometimes you can hit the nail on the head for them. But I think people are really so starving for a sense of centeredness and peace and calm there's so many different ways you could say it, but you know, I think that's ultimately what people are looking for. But yeah, I definitely am not telling everybody to go out and like put their bare feet on the earth and, and re recalibrate their frequency <laughs> to the land in which they live. You know, there's not, I don't say that's everybody. That might be a bridge too far for some folks. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm definitely really aware of that. And throughout my work, um, it's always been a constant struggle for me. My mom's a physician. My dad's a PhD right. scientist. My <laughs> sister's a scientist, you know, an engineer. Yeah. Uh, and I come from a highly academic family. And so being all airy-fairy and mystical is not an option. It needs to be oh, grounded in, because we're in a, a current consciousness at this time of, of science is truth, I have to keep bringing myself back to that. And I have to be able to explain things in a way. So um, my work really runs through a lot of neuroscience and oh, nice. uh, biochemistry and um, so that I can feel like I can validate um, what I'm talking about, especially to the people that need to hear it that way. And I'm one of those people that do need to hear it that way sometimes too. It's always so great though when I study Ayurveda and these ancient healing technologies. Ayurveda, tell me. Ayurveda is the um, oldest medical system, recorded medical system okay. in the world. It's an Indian medical system okay. from India, ancient India. The Tibetan, nice. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it. So. Tibetan medicine and Chinese medicine kind of take their branches from the Ayurvedic lineage. And um, okay. yoga is just a subset of the, the, the medical practice. Um, so a lot of time, if you go to an Ayurvedic doctor, you get a, a food list as a, <laughs> as a prescription and yoga 
practices, wow. the physical postures and practices, um, the asana, but also the breath work and, and all those different things. This all comes together as one piece. But there's so much science and psychology behind Ayurveda means the, stu- the science of life. And so it's like the study of the science of life, but it started all the way back in these crazy rishis doing all these self experiments in caves and stuff and going, Oh, if you do this and this happens, if you do this, if you eat this and this happens and what us cause and effect. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love having to bridge these, be a bridge between these two worlds, you know, of science and, um, spirituality. The, the funniest thing to me about yoga is, you know, people will come up with the most complex ways of working out. Right. Inventing machines, you know, like to do all this work and doing yoga. Like if you stand on one foot or the other, like you will die from, yeah. from sweating and from like your, your muscle will start quaking. Like you just have to adjust the way you're standing slightly and you will right. get an unreal workout that way. It's so true. And, and it, the, any level of self-awareness that you begin to attain yeah. in that moment, in that particular pose you don't get that on a machine. Totally. And you work muscles you didn't even know were there. Right. Which is so wild. And like, it's it's funny too because sometimes I think, and I think this about restaurants all the time, like what would you rather have? Creativity or craftsmanship? And for me, it's almost always craftsmanship, right? Because you go to creativity and, you know, they serve you some like fucking smoked arugula like you know on like a hubcap or whatever and you're like you know (laughs) like like, there's there's like some like complex sort of you know system here whereas how many like burger joints are there like if you can make a really really good burger and just like figure that out craftsmanship matters so i think about that when it comes to like exercise and food the simpler you keep it the better it's probably going to be it's so true so yeah it's it's so true the other thing that i was struck by listening to you you know, there's this sort of earthy side. There's the science side. And one thing I love about the entire Brian family is you always hit me with profanity when I am least expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> you, Kirsty, and Raina. I haven't spent much time with Bay, but Bay is a little bit younger than us. Um, and so... He's going to be 30 this year. God, that's wild. <laughs> <I know. laughs> that's... Uh, God, that's amazing. Anyway, wow. but like you're all like such rays of sunshine. But man, you can punch hard with your words, <laughs> which is such a quality that I appreciate and adore. Yeah. And so like being able to get through to people, you have a number of different approaches that you can use here. So like finding people and going, okay, yes, you are a little bit more earthy. You're a little bit more science bent. And you're you, a little bit more Christian. Right. <laughs> and you just need a fucking kick in the ass. Right. Right. It, it kind of depends. And so I, I'm always envious of having that in your toolbox because with you and Kirsty and Raina in particular, I never see it coming, no. which I really like. So is that <laughs> something that was cultivated in your house growing up? No. Or, or parents, did you my, all? My parents don't just wear it all. Really? Get <laughs> no. out. I mean, my dad, now that we're older, like he'll, he'll say stuff, but my mom, no, I think I heard my mom say like shit once when she almost like slipped on some ice and I was wow. like, way older. But yeah, no, we, we weren't even allowed to say, you know, the Lord's name in vain. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. So when I started, um, using swear words, it was an act of rebellion. Oh, I got For you. Okay. sure. That was part of that. Um, my husband is constantly on me now. He's like, you are a sailor, you know? And I'm like, I'm fucking sorry, dude. Like I just can't help it. You're like um, tough shit, Sally. I know. My kids hear it all the time though, you know, in my 
<laughs> I feel bad about that, but yeah. But how do you manage that? Because we have a trick to manage it around here, and everyone has sort of a different way of handling it. I'm curious about yours. I don't really have a trick. <laughs> Good. You're just like, fuck it. This is the way it exists. I mean, unfortunately, I try really hard not. My daughter is like, Mom, you said a bad word. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, because yeah. it's. But um, yeah, I definitely try to be a little bit more creative. Like, sure. you know, we come up with like, oh, flannel shirts or, yeah. you know, my daughter likes <laughs> muffin crumbs for some reason. Oh, uh, that's um, not bad. No, uh, but yeah, definitely trying to say something else, you know. Okay. The, the way we <laughs> What's do What's your it, trick? I need to know tricks. No, it's good. Um, and hopefully Charlotte's not too old for it. But um, Grace was in the backseat at one point, And this is something Kristen says all the time. But just out of nowhere, we just hear it. She goes, I'm fucking freezing. <laughs> and we're like, okay, just don't acknowledge it. Don't do anything. She said it again. And so what we <laughs> said to her was, Grace, that's a mommy-daddy word. Okay? There are mommy-daddy drinks. There are mommy-daddy foods. For instance, sriracha. Right. Like, right. So like, that's another nice non-alcoholic way of getting to this point. But there are mommy-daddy words, too. Like yeah. Those words exist. You're going to hear them sometimes, but they're not for you. Right. And so our, I like that. Yeah, our kids just... like They're going to hear them. They and, are. I mean, I started swearing i remember hearing it in movies and i would try it out like on the playground i was like seven right and you know it felt good and i enjoyed it right um that's gonna happen but the the extent to which you can manage it around here you know i i think that's a pretty good technique yeah i love that i love that so yeah it's definitely one of those things that feels a little hardwired up for me right now i remember specifically having a conversation with my dad at his office i don't know if he had to pick me up from from school I was suspended or something. Right. I don't know. But it, I remember him saying um, something to the effect of um, words have power mm -hmm. and how you choose to use them is what allows you to win a fight or not. It's not fists. It's how well you can weave your language mm -hmm. and words. Yeah. And so choose wisely. And I think it was probably I got kicked out of school for, you know, telling a teacher to fuck off or something, yeah, right. you know, like flipping the band teacher the bird or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that sounds but, like something that actually happened. Yeah. Yeah? For sure. Yeah, of course. It totally happened. <laughs> I was always speaking my mind when I thought something was unfair, which, you know. Was frequently. Frequently. Yeah. No, I remember. We life were... seemed so unfair. <laughs> well, I remember we were in forensics together. Uh, I was in it for one semester. I was doing like duet acting with Nick Roth or something. Love duet. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you were doing poetry at the time. Yeah. Dark and, stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I remember listening to it and I'm like, wow. Like she feels like she feels more than I think I have feelings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was remarkable. But there was one forensics tournament and I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but we were sitting like uh -oh. in, in, <laughs> in some lunchroom, like at some high school, right? right? And you were telling me about this party you had gone to. And it, I felt like I was watching Pulp Fiction the way you described it. <laughs> because like we're 15 at that point, freshman year, 14, 15, something like that. And like you were already doing hard stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, how early did you start that? Because And the reason I ask is because I started thinking of Spencer Knee. Right. And he said he started earlier than anyone knew too. Right. So like how early was it for you? Yeah, it was probably about, I think I started smoking weed when I was about 14, wow. drinking. Definitely got into some harder stuff about 15 and 16. 
And I was really lucky in that a lot of my friends, we, we kind of quit all at the same time. So I didn't oh, nice. have to do that sort of separation of, of friends to get sober kind of thing. Sure. We went into the hard stuff together and we, and a lot of us came out of it together. Now, a lot of them went back into it. How long did that take? Like how, how long were you in it? And then when did you come out? It was probably about two years. And then into my junior year was okay. when I really started to come out of the, a lot of the hard stuff. Now yeah. I struggled, I went on to struggle with alcohol for a really long time. Mm. But I stopped using narcotics and I was about 17. Nice. Um, but I was pretty hard into the shitty things. But I joked in college when people were like, hey, we're going to get a bunch of blow and this and that. And I'm like, I did that in high school. Like, I am good. Like, you guys just. You were like hipstering time. them? <laughs> yeah. I you was. were cool yeah. guying them? Yeah, I was like, no, I'm cool. Like, that sounds like no fun to me, actually. You're like, I'm long past that. Been there, done that. Have Go you, for it. <laughs> have you guys. Have yeah. you guys tried green tea? Yeah. Well, and that was a time in my life where I was really struggling with my alcohol addiction. Oh, interesting. And it was interesting because I was studying holistic health and integrative therapies in college. And mm. it was, I first discovered yoga. And uh, I mean, those are all the things that saved my life. But I was living this diametrically opposed lifestyle. Like I was basically managing my hangovers and ah. my my life through like green smoothies and healthy food and, and supplements and o- essential oils and Reiki and all this stuff. Right. Um, because I knew that it worked because I had had experiences with it when I wasn't high <laughs> right, or, or sure. drunk or whatever. You're almost um, like beta testing it. Yeah, totally. But I was so entrenched in this other lifestyle that, um, wow. I mean, it was, and it was literally the moment. I mean, it was literally getting pulled apart with these two diametrically opposed lifestyles. It was killing me. I mean, you could only go to jail so many times when you're a light worker and realize like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> How many times did you go? Probably three. Really? Wow. Yeah. For what? DUIs. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And fighting. Oh, fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Assault. You don't back down, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> yeah. That. I. So what eventually led you to get out of this? And how old were you? Um, well, we were talking about Saturn return earlier. Oh, right. I think it yeah. was right in my Saturn return. I was 27, turning 28. I had gotten my, just been pulled over for another DUI. I had driven from Boulder to Golden, completely blacked out. Oh, and you know that is a crazy road when you're sober. Well, was in it the 93? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, so 93 is rough. You've got one lane both ways. One side, you fall off the side of the mountain. The other side, you're head on to another car. Yeah. I can only say angels must have been driving my car. Sure. You know what I mean? But I came to as cherries were... You know, right in front of the Taj, too, isn't that oh, yeah, perfect? Of and um, I felt like life, was the rug just got pulled out from under my face, you know, as I'm mm. getting handcuffed and I'm eating dirt, basically. And I and I literally, it sounds so funny now, but I literally felt like I heard a voice that said, um, we will not save you anymore. Oh, wow. We cannot continue to do this if you don't buy into this. Yeah. If you don't buy in either. Like, if you think life is, I mean, the, the gist of it was, if you don't give a fuck, we can't keep giving a fuck for you yeah so it was a real awakening moment um i had finished a, a really deep shamanic women's empowerment group that year before and i had literally just put ganesha which is the remover of obstacles um an elephant type god from the hindu tradition or yoga tradition and it was a remover of obstacles and i literally put it up on our last altar and i said remove the obstacles in my life that are holding me back from living my highest purpose so be careful what you ask for, right? And yeah. then boom, I'm getting a DUI. I'm getting thrown back in jail. I had decided to go to India. I had decided to go to nutrition school in New York City. So I was already going 
but now I was in jail. Ah. So I, I literally had to petition the judge to let me travel and, um, hmm. and, and ask for this forgiveness, basically in these contingencies that I would become a, um, a functioning member of society. If I could <laughs> do these things, I realized that I was bad, you know, doing the wrong yeah. things, you know, putting people in danger, but it was definitely a tough time. Well, I mean, it seems like you have overcome it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you and I have talked about a little bit, like just through messages. I mean, that darkness does creep back in. You it mentioned does. the hole. My, the way I described it to my therapist is I'm walking down a hallway and there's a curtain at the end of it. And sometimes that curtain will open and there's just darkness on the other side of it. And I've gotten to a point where I recognize walking through that curtain is largely a choice. Right. And I can prevent myself from going fully through there to where I am just all of a sudden in a deep, dark throes of depression. Right. Do those demons ever come haunting you in the same way? Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, with the work that I've done, it's been really interesting to meet those demons and um, thank them mm. for what they do give to us. Because we wouldn't go back and and meet with those demons if we weren't getting something out of it. Oh, interesting. So there is there is some way that they're serving us that feels beneficial. And so acknowledging their presence and acknowledging the good work that they've done, for whatever reason, we've put these really tough behaviors or protection mechanisms in, in our path as a way that has served us before. So if we're coming up against a threshold of maybe it was too much success or things were going too good, there's this protection mechanism that might have worked at five or six or even, you know, right. 12 or 15 that if, that if I get in the way of this now, then I, I won't have this pain later. Mm. And, and there's a gift on that relationship with demons or, you know, the darkness or that, that really heavy stuff. And when we can recognize them and stop making them bad and wrong and actually align with them and say, I see that there's a protection here, there's a purpose. Right. And appreciate that is say this this protection mechanism has been working up until this point, but it actually isn't serving me anymore. Yeah. And I acknowledge the brilliance of your strategy in <laughs> protecting me. Do you think we could 2.0 this or upgrade this? And asking that part of yourself or that darkness for its recommendation rather than making that part of you wrong or needing to fix or avoid or push away because that just makes it stronger. Wow. You know? That's a fascinating view of how to almost do jujitsu with your demons. Right. I mean, they're all, we're complicated prism of all these parts. Yeah. And that darkness is part of us. And in learning to embrace our shadow parts rather than trying to pretend they don't exist or hide them behind the curtain forever mm -hmm. is to sort of let them in and embrace them. And that's the process of learning how to love our whole self, right? When you right. said, you know, I'm talking shit to myself the way I would never talk to a friend. Yeah. You know, we're so hard on ourselves. And when we can start to back off and go, well, why am I being such a jerk to myself? Yeah. Why am know? I so mean? Yeah. Like, and I, like, I, when I had that epiphany where I'm like, I would never say the things I'm saying to myself. To anyone else, no. like not, not even people I abjectly dislike. Right. I can't imagine those words coming out of my mouth and yeah. saying that to them. I mean, I was so cutthroat with myself, like just evil. Yeah. Mean. So mean. Brutal. So mean. And, it, and, I, and I did that work. I went down that hole. What is this doing for me? 
what am I getting out of this? Why am I doing this? What, and not even why, because a why question is automatically going to put us on the defense and put that part of our brain on the defense. Why are you doing that? Like when we say, why did you do that? You're like, um, Oh yeah. Because, and your brain automatically starts looking for reasons to justify why. So it's like, um, what let you know to say that thing? How does it feel when you start doing that? And then what, what lets you know to start talking to yourself that way? Yeah. And what is it that's what that happens? And you're like, and what does that do for you? And what does that do for you? And what, and you keep asking this spiraling question that gets deeper and deeper. It's like, well, if I'm mean to myself, basically what I landed on was if I'm kicking my own ass down, then nobody else can do it for me. So if I'm going to fuck up, I'm going to get myself as low as I possibly can, because it doesn't matter what criticism, what judgment or whatever, even if it's just a perceived thing I get from someone else, they can't get to me. Right. So it ended up being a protection. In some twisty, fucked up <laughs> way, yeah, it was protecting myself. Yeah, you're you're afraid of, or at least in my case, you know the the two biggest things, and I don't remember if I said this in the show or not, but my two biggest fears were that I'm a fraud and that I don't matter. Yep. And so the idea that someone else would say that to me, if I said that to myself enough, then either they're just in agreement with me, which right. is fine. Yeah. Like we're on the same page. That's right. excellent. Yeah. Like <laughs> finding common ground with someone is always uh, a desired goal or their opinion doesn't matter because it's like, well, that's old news. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's a form of protection. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I'd and, never thought of it. That and those way. two things that you landed on, um, I'm a fraud and I don't matter. I'm a fraud is a, as hi- a higher sort of an older belief system. Hmm. And I don't matter would be one of those ones that you wired up pre- verbal oh interesting wow so it's basically an identity thing so when we get to these really deep identity beliefs like we if if this is a really deep unconscious belief but the fact that you could bring it up and say it means that it's now at the level of consciousness it doesn't mean that you aren't going to arrange unconsciously arrange circumstances in your life where you can continue to have that experience or Mm. land in that place because we have to keep validating that that belief is true until we can dissemble that or in shamanic terms, okay, dismember that and remember the truth of who we really are and take that belief and reshape it and reconfigure it to what will actually serve us. You go through some of that too though, right? Oh my gosh. That's what I was saying is like as the healer, you feel like you have nowhere to go with it sometimes. Yeah. I was curious (laughs) about that because like you're doing all this for people and you're like, why am I still so down? Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I teach this shit. Can't I apply it internally? Yeah. But here's like, here's a really (laughs) mundane, totally. Here's a really mundane example that sort of illustrates this point. You can't always do it yourself because... Kristen and I were both great swimmers. You were a swimmer too. I was. Um, and you were good. And what's funny is like we were both lifeguards. She taught swim lessons. I taught a handful of them. Like she taught swim lessons to the Broncos kids and stuff. So Amazing. she was like really good. You cannot teach your own kids swim lessons. You yeah. you just can't. Like there's, there's too much emotion. There's too much baggage. Your kids need like a third party verifier here. Yeah. You're all in judgment. <laughs> right. And so like for this, for you, you know, you are providing the service for your clients, but you, you're almost too close to it to do it for yourself fully. Right. So you like, is there someone that you go to, to, to help you get recalibrated? Yeah. I work pretty close with my shaman in okay. particular. And then I've hired other coaches also to give yeah. just a different perspective and a different approach. And then I've done some pretty 
deep work with some other groups of people. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're tribal anyways. So we all, we always want to be the lone wolf and think that we can, you know, get through this shit by myself. Like I know all the stuff. I've got all the books. I've got the pajamas. I can Taekwondo this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? By myself. Yeah. But we can't. No, you just can't. We have to have other people to bounce stuff off of. We have mirror neurons. so We need people to mirror back to us. Whether or not we're we're landing in in a better place, or you have yeah. someone reflect to us like you're saying this thing, and I want you to hear what you're saying, yeah, back because it's bullshit. Well, <laughs> well, it's hard too because you're you're a solopreneur like I am. You you do a lot of your work in solitude. Yeah, you know, and so it's it's easy to sort of get in that space. I remember last year I had a huge writing assignment where I was writing. I'm not going to get into details of it, but probably thousands of words a day, every single day. And when you're writing, it, it has to come from within you. Like right. you are generating it, it from a well. Yeah. Right. Like even if it's the most mundane corporate bullshit you've ever right. seen, you still have to generate it. Getting the raw material is the hardest part. And it was to a point where I was so inside myself. Kristen would ask me, like she asked me if I wanted to go into West Hollywood when we were going to L.A., and that was not the plan that I had in my head for that particular day. And I shut down and she goes, what is wrong with you? Are you like mad at me? And I go, no, this is just how I process things. Oh, I see what's happening. Uh-oh. And, no, I see the hole. It's coming. <laughs> no, and <laughs> totally. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, by, by virtue of needing to survive um, this grueling writing assignment that I have, I have had to go to this particular place and now it's manifesting in other interactions that right. I have. Yeah. And so like... But the fact that I saw it coming, I'm like, okay, now I can, I can fix it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I imagine. Awareness. Yeah, it's yep. crazy. Key. And so sometimes I imagine like you're helping people and you go, okay, I got to talk to someone else because I don't know necessarily what I'm doing. Right. Yeah, wild. The biggest thing for me has been, now that we're talking about it, is remembering like how serious I can get and how heady and how intellectual I can get, even though I'm trying to get into this more, getting people into this awareness, which is an embodied place right with with some intellect you know pulled in but mostly you you feel your your stuff first your body has messaging before your brain is even online a lot of times Mm. we're seeing there's lots of clues (laughs) right before the brain is like oh shit you know i'm shutting down or whatever uh there's lots of behaviors maybe that are manifesting or compulsions without the awareness coming online but um for me is playing so I can't break out of this seriousness sometimes even to play with my kids. You know, oh, it's like dude, so I do that sometimes. hard. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like I have the life. Like I could sit here and play Legos all day long. And like, fuck that, you know, like, oh, totally. no, thank you. But like forgetting how to play. But when I get outside, when we get with our friends, when we put on costumes and have a wrestling <laughs> party or, you know, when we just remember to have fun. That well of inspiration comes back. That ability to, yeah. to do the mundane stuff with gratitude. You know, the dishes don't bug me anymore. You know, it's not a problem because we can have, we can tap back into life energy, which is my teacher in India says, you know, we are joy. We are bliss. We are playful and we are expandable. That is the nature of who we are. Yeah. And the further we get away from that, the harder life feels. Yeah, it's always uh, depressing when your kid comes up to you and it's like, you want to do a puzzle with me? And you think your first thought is, Jesus Christ. Oh, hell no. Like, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, and, and you're right. If you can snap yourself out of that and be like, 
why the fuck am I mad about that? Yeah. Like, my child wants to play with me. Like, yeah. we're going to sit on the floor and put together this princess puzzle. Like, that's a, a moment of life. That's that's joy. Right. And But, like, you're... You get so bogged down in the seriousness yeah. of life, you know? And your task list. And right. you're like, Ugh. and And are feeling like we're not up to snuff on the task list totally. or, or anything yeah, else. Yeah, you're behind. Or maybe always. you did it, but you didn't do it very good. <laughs> you could have done it better. <laughs> I, I had a boss who said, I have 10 different jobs and I'm good at none of them. Right. And so like, I've had to compartmentalize my life a little bit better. Like, And then and the podcast is a great way of doing that because when you're talking with someone like we are, just nothing. I'm not doing anything else right now. I'm right. focused on this, and I've taken that to each task that I do. Like, be right. fully present in what you do. And I know that's a cliche, but it is useful as a reminder. Well, so. it is. It sounds cliche, but it's actually so hip right now. Mindfulness, <laughs> right? And, yeah, and, totally. Um, the practice of presence is like a super buzzword now, even for corporate world. I mean, they're bringing yeah. mindfulness trainings into corporations because I got a friend who does. People it. are needing to be retrained how to be in the present moment yeah you know because we, we're multitaskers we try to do a million things at once we are experts at pulling the past into the present which is depression and we're experts at casting a net out into the future and pulling it into the present which is anxiety yeah <clears throat> and uh we if if i'm in this moment and i'm all good in this moment then we're good and then now I'm in this moment and I'm all good. Yeah. And now I'm in this moment. And then we're stringing these pearls of moments along and it was a good day. Yeah. There was a moment maybe that sucked, but if I don't pull that pearl or ball and chain it into the next moment as truth Interesting. Yeah. for that moment, then it doesn't have to be. Because each moment can be brand new as a practice. And it goes that way with eating too. Like people are like, well, this day is shot. It's like, no, no, you, you had a bad meal. Yeah. Get back on the train next meal or right. next day. Like you right. don't have to sacrifice right. a whole day or a whole week or whatever. Or the rest of the year. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, this whole week is shot. It's like, no, yeah. just do better tomorrow. Yeah. Like, it's like with our kids. You know, they have these temper tantrums or like fly off the handle and like 20 minutes later, like it never <laughs> happened for them. And we totally. are still like wrecked by like. Oh, yeah. I'm vibrating. Like... And my behavior, like to react to it. And it's just like it's. <laughs> It's alive in us, but they're like, no, 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 you know. <laughs> it's over. It's gone. They flushed it. teachers of being in the present moment. <laughs> oh, it's wild. Okay. And my cat, too. Yes. All right. Uh, we, we Let's got, come back as cats. No kidding, right? <laughs> I want to come back as a cat in my family. Fly around. So, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, all right. got to wrap this up. Um, now's the time on the show when we do plugs. Where can people get in touch with you? Where can they find more about Delicious Awakening? Uh, they can find me on Facebook for the most part or Instagram. Um, Shahara Madeline on Instagram and Delicious Awakening. Fantastic. I will put links to those in the John of All Trades companion blog piece. That's johnofalltrades.us. You can also find it in the show notes if you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or probably a billion other podcatchers out there that I'm not aware of. But johnofalltrades.us is the home base. Shahara, Golden High School, class of 2000. I know. That's both of us. 20 years coming up. I know. We're going to turn off the mics and talk about that. (laughs) Uh, But uh, this was an absolute delight. I'm glad we did did this. Me too. Thank you so much. Let's do it again soon. Okay. Thank you so much. This was fun. Continued success to you, Shahara. Awesome. And that wraps up episode 221 of the John of All Trades podcast with Shahara Jagrati Mattingly, the CEO of Delicious Awakening Transformational Health Coaching. It's a real pleasure, Shahara. I can't wait to do it again. And you know what? Next year, 
Golden High School, 20-year reunion. Let's tag team this together. We'll put some good stuff together. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. I will help your company or your organization tell its story in a brand new way, whether that's through training, content, engagement, or podcasting. Those are all ways of engaging an audience that you need to talk to. So hit me up, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. If you're telling your story online, hit up 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Whether that's social media marketing, online advertising, websites, or anything you're doing in the digital space, 4Degrees can help your product, service, candidate, or campaign get in front of the people who need to see it most. They're dynamite, unparalleled at what they do, and they're at the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Check out John of All Trades on social media. J-O-A-T pod is the handle. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and a billion other podcatchers. Just search John of All Trades. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Hit that subscribe button. I will be back here very soon with a brand new episode. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, crazy. That's good, Johnny.